we're all in the United States. <laughs> we're all in the United States, all in the same time zone, all along the coast. Yeah. 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 yeah we're right. going to have the, uh, the Canadian CIA listening in to all the incoming traffic. <laughs> well, they might still be oh, listening because, yeah. you know, I'm still here and they follow me around. So That's they might true. still be listening. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, how do we know that you're not one of them? Mm, good point. The more point, you deny yeah. it, the more we know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I might as well just admit it, right? That's right, what you're saying. Exactly. Right. That's why he doesn't like to put his picks in ahead of time. He likes the shadow picks because it's on a need to know basis. Mm. And we don't need to know mm. until the pick If you've noticed, I put both about. of my picks in now. So, ha, take that. You are totally been de- debunked. Yeah, but you got to throw it off a little bit, right? You got to, you got to commit. <laughs> Every a, once in a while, I got to do something different, right? You got to commit a small crime to cover up the big crime. That's the way it works. Mm, they know you're smart. guilty of something, but they they think, oh, okay, it was this thing, not the bigger thing. Exactly. That is the way to do it, I guess. So. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 226 of the More Than Dress Code podcast. My name is Greg Hill. I'm in San Francisco, California, and I'm joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Dr. Mark Rubin just down the road from me in San Jose, California. Hello. So, the holiday episode extravaganza. Mm-hmm. What are we What are we talking about today? I don't think we have any fact check because you guys got everything right last week, which is good. But we do have some Ask MTJC. Jaime, why don't you get started there? Yeah, I threw this one, and this is my own tweet. Um... In, in response wait, wait, to, wait. You didn't, you didn't tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC, though. So is this allowed? You know, it's host discretion, I think. Mm, all right. That, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting one. And I think your uh, your attention to detail and protocol and procedure <laughs> will become important here in, in the very near future. Um, in any case, I was responding, or I should say tweeting, about the official Windows Twitter account, which has um, joined the ugly Christmas sweater party theme, it appears, by releasing their own uh, Windows 95. Five uh, ugly sweaters, and can you imagine the Windows ninety five logo on a Bill Cosby esque sweater? Um, I I have to admit I was full on envious of this, and I, in my own tweet, which we'll have in the show notes for those of you driving at home, it says uh, <laughs> I'm able to feed myself based on my ability to create software for Apple's platforms. Yet I would absolutely wear this if I owned it, mm-hmm. if only ironically. Be careful about liking those Bill Cosby esque sweaters, though. These mm. days. <laughs> yeah, Bill Cosby, <laughs> may, maybe not the best example to use anymore. Right, I stand by my statement (laughs) (laughs) well uh, on that note it'll probably be too late for people by the time they hear this podcast but um your hometown airline there Jaime Alaska Airlines which is always strange to me how Alaska Airlines' hometown is Seattle is that right is that what they call themselves Seattle's hometown airline or something like that something like that they're they're definitely uh, almost better than Southwest if you're trying to come along the coast uh, with Mm. regards to pricing and availability and as far as I understand they're just really cool when it comes to tech products and being really forward-thinking all right. This podcast is not sponsored by Alaska Airlines, but apparently Friday, December 21st is National Ugly Holiday Sweater Day. And I read this article, I just posted into the show notes that uh, if you wear an ugly sweater and you're flying Alaska on that day, which will be probably yesterday if you're listening to this podcast on Saturday, then they give you priority boarding for that day. So it's just another little fun thing that they're doing. Um, so if you get your Windows 95 holiday sweater and you are flying Alaska on, on the Friday, then you should wear it and you know you get to board first. Awesome. All right. What else do we have? I don't know. I, I think all sweaters are beautiful in their own way. I don't discriminate against sweaters. <laughs> Being very uh, sweater inclusive. <laughs> I don't know about that. There are, there are some ugly sweaters out there, let's be honest. <laughs> 
I think we have some follow-up, maybe correction, actually. So maybe it is a little fact check. I don't know. I haven't seen this. Yeah, I don't remember precisely what we said here or probably what Tim said because he was probably the one explaining the NHL rules to us. Uh, But this is from friend of the show, Adam Armstrong, saying, uh, follow-up correction to episode number 225. NHL overtime is three versus three, not four versus four. Um, I'll take your word for it. I don't have to learn about hockey until 2021 when Seattle joins the league. Uh, (laughs) And uh, here's a sports science video where they tested using a sumo wrestler in goal and the results aren't what you would expect um that's it was kind of interesting we went a little bit back and forth on this and i had some questions about the methodology they used for uh setting up the the sumo wrestler as well as you know two large individuals Mm. um i still maintain my basic premise of if you could get an individual man or woman large enough to cover up all angles of the goal and i mean literally all angles not like 99.999 percent. i mean literally all of them Mm. i think i think no one could ever score <laughs> I'm digging my heels in on that one for 2019. <laughs> well, you heard it. Somebody make it happen. Let's get uh, maybe uh, you have a few years to uh, you know get all that weight gain 3000 powder as they had on South yeah, Park. Start, you start can try out for the now, team. I mean. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can try out for the the Seattle. Uh, what did you guys land on for the name of the team? We haven't. Do you guys have a favorite? No, not, not, you don't have a favorite yet, though. I, I, I liked Yeti, even though I don't think it's an official list one. Mm. So we'll see. Okay. okay. Well, something to watch out for in a couple of years. And uh, I'll have to watch that YouTube video. I didn't watch it, but is it is it funny? Is it worth watching? It's worth yeah, it's watching. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not all that funny, but it's worth watching. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, we had one more recent Ask MTJC from uh, John Payne at Harmonic Lattice on Twitter. And he had a technical question. He was uh, tweeting at a couple other people asking for help on something about protocol, protocol conformance, my a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, so I did reply back. He was asking about how when he defined a function for the less than function, which should get you conformance to comparable. And he just defines the function, everything's fine. But when he says this protocol is also comparable, he got a whole bunch of errors. Everybody's what I like to call everybody's favorite Swift error, which is the, it can only be used as a generic constraint because it has self or associated type requirements. And everybody always gets that error and they have no idea what it means. Um, I don't know. Is this common? Have you guys run into this error? I've seen a it. Lot Usually it's error? because it's it needs to be a class for some reason. Hmm, interesting. The okay. needs to be defined as class. That's what Usually I, I see that as, um, I always see this when, well, I think they've sort of canonical examples when the protocol has an associated type mm. and you try to use the name of that protocol as where like a concrete type would go, like in a type signature, and that's not allowed because it doesn't know what the associated type is going to be and it can't do the type checking properly. Um, so anyway, I think that's going on, mm-hmm. what's going on here. But he's defined a struct for uh, rational numbers. You have a, denomin- a numerator and a denominator, or an upstairs and a downstairs, as I like to call it. And then um, he's defining some functions around that. So I was like, all right, this is a numeric type. So I went to the standard library and I said, surely somebody has thought of this. How does the standard library do it? Because they have integers and floats and all kinds of things that are comparable already. And they get around it. I don't know if get around is the right way to say it, but they use the word self in the um, function declaration. So when you say less than, it takes a left-hand side of you know type A and a right-hand side type B. You just, instead of giving the name of the protocol, you use self and self on both ends, mm. and that covers it. Mm-hmm. So since this is a protocol, and you're saying the protocol has to define the meth- method of um, function less than or equals or whatever, if you say the left-hand side and the right-hand side are of that type protocol, then that means that you could compare two different things. For example, 
example, an integer could be comparable and a float could be comparable, but you might not want to compare them. So you have to be a little more concrete, I think, is the explanation here. If you want to have a less than function, you should be, your, or in this case, you have to be more specific than just say it has to be of this protocol. You have to be, give a type. And so the standard library fixes it by using self to say that um, whatever type you put in, if it's an int, you have to compare ints with ints, not ints with floats um, for that particular case. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can define a function to compare an int and a float. That's up to you. But if you want to do like comparable or uh, equatable or something like that, then I think doing self is the way to do it. Yeah, it does uh, make sense because you could pass in two things that both conform to the rational protocol, but are of different mm -hmm. types. So. Exactly. Yeah, the protocol yeah. is correct. They might conform to the protocol, but like you have no, like, you know, you could say like, I don't know, something stupid, like a string or something like that. And you mm -hmm. make it conform somehow to rational, mm -hmm. then um, you compare that with a numeric rational, it's not going to work or something like that. So um, yeah, so I think it's the compiler. It really is the compiler trying to save you from yourselves, from yourself, I should say. And when in doubt, this kind of thing, I always like to go to the standard library and look. So I did reply to uh, John Payne and say, uh, I can't explain the error. I cannot explain the error message in 280 characters, but here's how to fix it. And I gave him a link to how integers work in the standard library because uh, that's how they do it. So mm -hmm. yeah, so I think that's our Ask MTJC. And this might be the all follow-up show. Time says we're gonna, it's going to be quick hits, but I don't know. I feel like these are uh, these are some meaty topics. Uh, why don't you get this started with, uh, with the list? The first one we have here is that uh, Apple is shutting down Apple Music's connect feature. So not Apple Music itself. Don't don't be worried. They'll, they'll keep that around for quite some time. Um, but the connect feature, and if you're wondering what the heck is a connect feature, exactly. Uh, so I remember this because I went to WWDC 2015 where they spent an awful lot of time talking about Apple Music and also the connect feature, which is sort of like Facebook or Twitter within Apple Music. And the intention was for it to be a way for artists to communicate and get you know more involved with the fans. Turns out nobody really used it beyond a little bit of tinkering here and there and there are better forums like facebook or twitter or tumblr even at this point that or, might be a better ping. place oh wait a minute oh <laughs> low blow there <laughs> tumblr is back on the app store as well right they got pulled for a bit but they're back i think i heard yes there's a whole bit of news around tumblr that's beyond the bounds of this show um mm, all right but yeah maybe we'll, maybe we'll talk about it in the after show because i have i have opinions <laughs> <laughs> But yes, so Apple's, Apple Music Connect, it's no more. Whoops. Now, this was artist to fan, not like the two of us, Jaime, are both fans of the same band and we can go on here to talk. It's not for that. I don't believe it was ever for that. I think mm, it was more... Okay. Uh, I can't name. I can't think of the name of this particular app, but I know that uh, uh, local resident, Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> is like an investor or something in some app that's tied to his own personal brand that he's expanding to other celebrity type folks. It's kind of like a very hyper-specialized version of Instagram, if you ask me, where the, the, you get, you know, special, you know, videos and text messages and other bits that they're putting in there. Um, I, I think Connect could have been that if it was maybe somehow better integrated with how everybody else wants to work, right? Everybody wants to publish to all of the various social media channels, not just this one bespoke channel hmm. for a very small, important, but small compared to the entire world um, kind of uh, audience. Okay, RIP Connect. And I just joined Apple Music again, too. So now I'll never see this thing. That's too bad. Now you can use Apple Music with your uh, your Amazon Echo, though. That's new. <laughs> I did actually connect it up to mine. Does it uh, work? Does it do everything you hoped and expected? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of the same vocabulary-based system that you expect with the Amazon Echo. It's, it's a little bit wordier. So if you said, you know, the uh, trigger phrase there, play the album Egypt Station by Paul McCartney on Apple Music, it will absolutely do that. And you can shorten that a little bit by 
going into your Echoes settings and say, hey, I would like Apple Music instead of Google Play Music or TuneIn Radio or Amazon Music as being your primary. But, you know, it, it, it works okay. I did it as more of a just see how fun it might be. It's very, very close nearby. I have my HomePod and the HomePod just blows away the any Amazon Echo with regards to um, audio fidelity. It's really good at doing that. Mm. So I don't know that I'll use it a whole lot, but there is there are some rooms in my house where I have, you know, uh, very small Echo Dots that uh, I would never pay the money to put another HomePod at 349 US to buy another one and do it. Mm. So I can make use of my uh, my Apple Music subscription in a very, very tiny fractional additional way than I could before. What about for 299 US though? If it goes down to like 240, if they knocked off a full uh, 100, yeah. I might consider it. At 50, mm. I'd have to think. Yeah. Are you still the only host on the show with a HomePod? I mean, is this just you? I think. I don't it, Mark, do you have one? No. no. I don't All think right. Tim don't does either. Right. Okay, just you then. You do enjoy the cylinders that are uh, voice activated, so we're all relying on you for these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. All right, what else do you have for us? This one is in, in the theme of uh, things I would like for Christmas that I would like Apple to give us for Christmas or, or, or WWDC next year, let's say, you know, kind of a Christmas in almost July. So this happens to be uh, Sega, the video game uh, maker, who is bringing its Sega Genesis classics like Sonic the Hedgehog to Amazon's Fire TV. Why am I bringing this up? Because I want something very, very similar for the Apple TV, because that would be great. I sure would love to have, what is it? For the low, low price of $14.99, $14.99 US, you get a whole bunch of video games that I recognize and enjoyed in my youth. So if there's a there's a Apple employee out there listening, I sure hope you take this to heart. Were you a Sega household, I mean, back in your back in your youth? No, I was a Nintendo household. My, my oh, cousins okay. had the Otherwise, the I'm Genesis. like, oh, I can't believe we're friends if you were a Sega person. That's just unbelievable. <laughs> okay, just checking. So similar to that, I, I just got an email today, which looks kind of spammy, but it might be real, uh, saying that now... Uh, the 150 of the Atari Flashback Classics, which are the old 2600, Atari 2600 games, are now available on Nintendo Switch and PlayStation Vita. Mm. So including Asteroid, Centipede, Missile Command, and and more. So if you like those old 8-bit graphic games, which it sounds like you do, Jaime, mm-hmm. uh, then this might be for you. Yeah, Retro is definitely back. I'll put another link here to the, uh, I think it was recently released as well, the C64 Mini. That was my first computer, the Commodore 64. And they have like a little tiny, I, I forget, I it's like really small, I think, or not really small, but about half the size, half the width. If you know what the Commodore 64 looks like, imagine like shrinking it down to about half. And it's got like USB ports and an HDMI output, and then you can uh, play lots of classic Commodore 64 games as well. Uh, $50, so not bad. How much is a Fire TV anyway? Is that the Fire TV stick thing, or is that something else? I'm actually not clear what model, because there's everything up to the Cube, which I think is like 149 US. I think Amazon Fire TVs are roughly, let's say, 99 or less and then the stick is like 30 to 50 bucks mm, okay so i'm not i'm not sure um but either you know, way i sure would love to see it on apple tv you know what would be kind of interesting is do you remember those old atari joysticks for the atari 2600 mm-hmm. remember those mm-hmm. those things yeah mm-hmm. you could you could now fit the entire computer or the for that for the 2600 or, or the equivalent into one of those joysticks on a single chip and just, they have that already just have a usb port they have that oh, they, already they do really well i'll put another link in here it's uh, called the it's 
again, sorry, it's, I only know the Commodore, but there's a C64 direct to TV, uh-huh. and it is a joy. If you click it's on the, it's a Wikipedia joystick. link. Oh, it's okay. the joystick, and on the other end, it was like oh, composite yeah, video, yeah, composite. You know, look at that. It was yeah. like an audio and a video, and a little on-off switch. I think it took like four AA batteries. I uh-huh. think I still have one somewhere, hmm. um, and it has a little built-in menu to play a bunch of games. But you could actually open the thing up, and there were points on the board where you could solder some extra connections, and you could actually get a working Commodore 64 if hmm. you soldered in like a keyboard connector. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all you need. I think there were also solder points for like connecting an actual real Commodore 64 disk drive to the thing as well. And so if you made the cables and you, or sorry, you made the connector, you could plug in your old disk drive. And I think it took like a PS2 keyboard, and then you can actually run it as a real Commodore. Uh, not I, real, I'd be but, you impressed know. if there was still a working Commodore 64 disk drive around these days. There are absolutely well, still are working units. There are no, they are still out there. You wow. can still get them. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know why you'd want one because it's probably those five and a quarter inch floppies that stored yeah. what, like 50k or 100k or something like that it's 100 and so yeah apparently those are hard to find if you want to yeah. buy blank floppy disks they're yeah. apparently like impossible i bet impossible. they are, I bet they are. <laughs> yeah so here it is i don't know maybe there's an atari were you an atari person mark is that why you're bringing it up i was yeah all right yeah but i but that's not why i was bringing it up. i was bringing it up because i randomly got the email today mm, okay but i was an atari person i had a 2600 and then i had so the 2600 was the was just the gaming console the original atari mm-hmm. but i also had the atari 800 computer that was my first oh, that was a real computer right. that was a real computer yeah well the 2600 they called a, a video computer system it was vcs wasn't it they right. called a video computer yeah. system which yeah. was like they just wanted to put the name computer in there yeah no it was definitely a gaming platform without yeah. that there's no keyboard and and uh you just you couldn't program it you just stuck cart- cartridges in mm-hmm. although actually you i take it back you could program and i think if you put in the right cartridge and you probably have to buy an external keyboard and plug it into the joystick port okay retro computing well, maybe i'll, I'll yeah. make a pick related to this at the end so if you enjoy 8-bit computing then uh Listen all the way to the end, and maybe I'll have a nice pick. And if you're ever in the Bay Area, go check out the Computer Museum over yes. by Google, and you can see examples of all of these things on display there. Mm-hmm. All right. More follow-up. Jaime, what else do we have? This one is uh, another thing that I would like Apple to give us for Christmas, and technically qualifies as follow-up to me talking about Windows earlier in this very podcast. So the double dip here is that Windows Sandbox is coming to Windows, what, Windows 10 Pro and Windows 10 Enterprise. And what that is, is a nice, lightweight, and here, uh, 100 megabyte installation of Windows that you can use to run an app in a sandbox. And the idea being that for sort of sketchy things that you're not 100% certain, is this going to work properly? Is it going to destroy my machine because it's actually malware? Well, Microsoft is using uh, its uh, sandboxing and virtualization technology here to give you a safety net for that. So I think of it as being sort of a logical addition to what Gatekeeper does for us here on the Mac. But Gatekeeper is more like... it keeps the gate, right? <laughs> Literally, like it says, like, <laughs> it's just a person at the door saying, do you want to let this person in or not? Yes or no. And once they're in, whoops, like they can do everything they want. This is more like shoving people into the matrix and saying, here, you, you can't harm anybody here. Um, I, I really like this idea because, you know, I get a lot of my software from the Mac App Store, but I also do kind of like going to uh, an actual company's website. And, and usually if it's, you know, like a, a well-known, reputable one, like 1Password, I'm not worried at 
at all. But if it's, hey, I saw somebody tweet about this really cool, interesting tool. Their website looks legit. I know absolutely nothing about this individual or this company. Gatekeeper gives me an option of not doing anything terrible. But once I've decided to put them into the gate, I I can't do anything. I'm just hoping that I made the right choice. Whereas this Windows sandbox seems like a really cool way to avoid a lot of the uh, a lot of the drama, at least for me personally, but also uh, avoid a lot of the pitfalls, particularly if you have like family members who uh, have 20 bazillion viruses all competing with each other on their same infected Windows machine. Well, if anybody knows about malware and viruses, it's Microsoft. So. <laughs> <laughs> How much Windows are you running these days anyway? Me? None. None, none oh, at all. Okay. Um, which is why I'm hoping that Apple will give us this technology as well. Mm, all right. All right. Let's move on the list. Next. What else do we have? The next thing we've got is more on the content side. Apparently, Apple has signed a deal with DHX Media that we'll see that. They're apparently a Canadian broadcaster. I don't know if you, you know them, Greg. Ooh. Maybe you do. Um, they're going to make short films, uh, some of it including uh, STEM. That would be science, technology, engineering, and uh, management probably. A lot of kids want to be middle managers, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's medicine. I know people are shaking their fists. You don't have to send in a correction. Um, that would be STEM stuff related to peanuts or Charlie Brown or Snoopy. You might be familiar with that branding. I think you're making some uh, some media cartoons, I assume, uh, possibly like the 3D community animated peanuts movie they had just a couple of years ago, or maybe more like the old school 2D cell animated style. Uh, apparently, it'll be exclusive to Apple's. Um, have they even really announced this yet, or is it all still rumor? I, I feel like we've heard about it forever that I don't know what's going on with Apple and their um, streaming television ambitions. They had their Planet of the Apps thing, a sort of, you know, exclusive content. Uh, I haven't, I don't know, I don't keep up with that stuff, so I don't know. I was, I, but I haven't heard any big announcement myself, but I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Well, nevertheless, like I said, uh, they'll be making some content, so, so watch this space. And in terms of developers, I think if Apple gives us any sort of capability to hook into their, um, either the Apple TV or the TV app that's available on iOS devices, um, I'd say watch this space because anything you can do to add, like, let's say, since they just removed the connect feature, if you have a way to add connectivity, uh, you know, for fans like uh, Facebook's, what is it, watch feature where, you know, people can collectively watch stuff, I could 100% imagine Apple doing something like that and maybe giving us a way as developers to add in our own stuff. So think of uh, Animoji or sticker packs that we could be put in while we're all watching the latest and greatest, you know, Peanuts musical. Hmm. All right. Uh, I don't know if you're trying to solicit follow-up, but STEM, the M is math, isn't it? Not medicine. Or were you just trying to... Ooh, is it math? Science. I believe it is. I guess maybe the medical part falls under science. See, I I knew it wasn't management, and that was the joke. (laughs) (laughs) I messed it up because I couldn't remember what it stood for. (laughs) All right. I I was like, I wasn't sure if you were just joking or something, but uh, let me put that in there just to preempt some uh, angry people really shaking their fists and, um, you know, writing in. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Mm -hmm. it used to be SMET, Science, Math, Engineering, Technology, but then they, uh, luckily someone came to the senses and decided that STEM was a little bit better. (laughs) So science, technology, engineering, and math is how I've always, uh, how I've always known it. Hmm. Yeah. I guess math would not be considered a science, would it? Uh, well, this math is very angry at you even suggesting that. That's a tricky one because it it lacks the empirical aspect of it, right? right? Oh, well, now that we've offended everybody, (laughs) 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 why don't we offend a completely different set of people? (laughs) 
lawyers you mean or what, what are you talking about no let's uh the next item we have here in our list is a blog post by a writer at forbes with the title of uh we broke into a bunch of android phones with a 3d printed head um that's kind of a uh you know dog bites man version of the news i think the man bites dog version of the news is really where they buried the lead they also tried this on an iphone uh, an mm-hmm. iphone 10 with face id and could not break into it i feel like that's really the leading quote there they could not break into the iphone 10 with their 3D printed head, even though mm. they absolutely could with a variety of Android phones that have a Face ID competitor. Yeah, that was definitely, I think, on all of our minds when we saw the Face ID demo, but they, I remember, was it the keynote or whatever announcement was, they were very, like, we made, like, real, we got, like, special effects people to make these real-life-looking molds of people's faces, and, like, they, you know, put, like, drew in veins and did all this stuff, and they're like, and this, you know, it still doesn't fool them because we have extra special sauce that will detect whether it's, like, a real-life person or not. Um, so, I feel like we knew that the iPhone was secure in that sense. Um, and then, yeah, I wonder, I guess it's really just like, could you hold up a picture of somebody? Could you hold up a photo of somebody and have that um, get into an Android device? Or did you? Did they have to go as far as a 3D printed head? I wonder, does the article go into that? I'd have to take a closer look on specifically what they ended up doing. I I think the modern stuff is at least smart enough to not be fooled by a photo. Okay. And I think that's why they went the 3D printed head. Mm, okay. But uh, clearly whatever magic saw, it's like if you're listening out there and you're wondering how can I make a face ID competitor, it's like, well, you probably can't. It's Apple spins boatloads, just just big boats going like right up to the shores in the bay, um, delivering cash to people during the kind of research that, that makes it as magical and seamless as it truly seems to be. Mm, that's true. All right. Well, my turn. I have one bit of follow up here. I think you guys were talking last week or a couple of weeks about eSIM support, and I saw the story come up earlier this week saying that uh, T-Mobile has introduced initial eSIM support for iPhone XS and beyond devices. So apparently they do it through an app. I'm not sure if it's the actual... T- I tried this. I didn't see anything yet, though. I don't know if it's the T-Mobile app or you have to get the special app, but they have some app that you download to your phone and then it checks to see whether you're, it, you're um, eSIM compatible, whether it can do it, and apparently it just does the switch and you can pull out the physical SIM card after. So that seemed kind of cool. Although the article mentioned that Verizon and AT&T already have this kind of thing and Verizon apparently released their version of uh, eSIM activation app uh, last week or it's already within the My Verizon app, it says here. So apparently if you're on any of the big carriers, T-Mobile, AT&T, Verizon here in the US, then uh, and you have one of these new iPhones, then you can uh, switch to your eSIM just with a app, which is nice because, you know, people don't like talking to people and I don't want to call some call center and, you know, wait on hold or go into a store or anything like that. So that's cool. I haven't tried it yet, but that sounds interesting. So maybe I'll, I'll look into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty cool that they're, they're doing that sort of thing. Um, I would be remiss to not mention the fact that I think just today as we record, this is the 19th. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, longtime uh, uh, Safeco Field being the, the name of their particular stadium, uh, now just announced they're renaming it to the new sponsor. So it's going to be T-Mobile Park for the next 25 mm. years. Something like I 87 approve. million over that time. So like three to almost four million a year. It's better than Sprint Arena. I think I read some other thing. I think you guys were also asking whether the merger had been approved. I thought I saw something else saying that it did re- receive some you know regulatory approval for T-Mobile and Sprint to merge? Did I? I think I saw something like that recently. But um, yeah, go T-Mobile. I'm on T-Mobile, so yeah. All right, let's wrap up the follow-up. Last thing here, what is it? Yeah, we've got an article here from Mac Rumors. It says that uh, Apple has uh, quietly made a tweak to its App Store review guidelines, uh, allowing developers to add um, in-app purchases as a gift. 
So normally, we, we, I think we talked about this way back when we were talking about in-app purchases and, and how they work with the things from a developer side as well as the sort of family member side. And I, I think it's Tim because Tim seems to have like the huge like family setup thing. And an issue I think he had brought up at the time was, hey, like when I could straight up buy stuff, you can use the family sharing to give stuff to another member of the family. Mm. But in-app purchases distinctly did not transfer over as part of that. Not saying it does here, but it is pretty cool that you could, you know, gift somebody some uh, some Smurf berries or Candy Crisp gems or, or something if you really wanted to. Uh, and developers now, apparently we can do that. And I'm also kind of hoping, and I'll leave it to like Tim because he probably will end up in this situation. I kind of wonder if we can have in-app purchases flow across um, boundaries with regards to being within a family unit. Mm. So it says here, before the change, right, to the review guys, apps should not directly or indirectly enable gifting of in-app purchase content, features, or consumable items to others. Now, after the change, it says apps may enable gifting of items that are <laughs> eligible for in-app purchase to others. Such gifts may only be refunded to the original purchaser and may not be exchanged. Mm, interesting. So I couldn't gift you something and then you ask for a refund and you get the money. So it becomes like money transfer. Right. That That, that is an interesting trick, isn't it? Too? Yeah. Well, it's, I guess that's why they're saying it has to go to the original purchaser and all that. But And there's still no promo cool. codes for in-app purchases, right? I think that's correct. I'm not sure. Right. So if you give your, if you have an app that you give to a reviewer or something like that, and there's extra content that you'd like them to look at, mm, they have to yeah. buy it, which is kind of unfortunate. I guess now you could gift it to them. Well, but how does one become a friend and family? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is that just anybody or was it, uh, you were mentioning like family accounts, but is this just to anybody? It says there's like, like they changed the um, app store review guidelines, but they haven't given the mechanism to do this, right? Mm. Do you mean like a SDK level mechanism of doing this? Yeah. Like there's no way to tap on an in-app purchase. And when it says, would you like to buy this? You're like, no, but I would like to give it to somebody else. Like they don't have anything like that right now, do they? For in-app purchases. Like just because they updated the review guidelines, that doesn't mean that there's actually a way to do it. Yeah. I I think this is more of just a policy change rather than providing some officially blessed way to do it. Like a a codeless or here's the five lines of code that they'll show you WWDC sort of thing. Hmm. So kind of an important first step because if they they do open up the policy, it means that they could hypothetically give us official access subsequent to that. Okay. Or it would have to be you buy an in-app purchase and it gives you a code and you send that code to your friend and you type, they type it into the app and the app has some server component that says, oh yes, this is a code for this particular in-app purchase and it just like gives it to them or something like that. Maybe something like that? I don't know. But then how would it work for like restoring purchases and things like that? Because it should restore to the friend who redeemed it, which needs an app store component. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like just based on this change, could I make roll my own system that would be compatible with all the rules? Like I'm not sure because of the restore purchase thing. Um, So I don't know. Really depends. And I do think that it might make life a little easier for, um, and I apologize if he's not actually trying to do this, but I know Curtis Herbert, uh, presumed friend of the show, certainly friend of uh, friends of our show and uh, creator of the slopes, uh, snowboarding and skiing app. That's really Mm. popular. And I know he was trying to work on, or at least he mentioned on Twitter publicly. uh, So I'm not violating anything here. He was trying to do some sort of like shared family and friends, a ski pass sort of thing um, Hmm. for his app. And he wasn't sure at the time if it would violate or run afoul of Apple's review guidelines. And I don't know all the details, but it kind of sounds like he'll be more likely to be in the clear, if nothing else, if Apple is is letting us do this. Hmm. Okay. Like buy like a seven day pass and realize, oh no, I'm not going to use it all. So, oh, let me gift the last two days to my buddy who's going to Crystal Mountain this weekend. 
Hmm. Is this his tweet that you saw this from? Yeah, I saw this within the last week or two, probably. Oh, okay. I just found the tweet where he says he looks very excited at this news. So I'll just put that as part of the notes here. All right. Should we uh, move on to the main main topics? Sure. Why don't you start us off? What do we have here? So More uh, Texas news. It figures this is from you. <laughs> That's how it came to my attention. Just given the uh, the news channels or, or channels of news, not necessarily TV channels that I follow. Mm-hmm. Um, Apple is going to build a new campus in Austin, Texas, as well as add jobs across the United States, including uh, new sites in Seattle, San Diego, and some place called Culver City, California. Says. <laughs> that's in LA. <laughs> Next to LA. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's... Gotta that's... keep it to California, you know? Two sites in California, I approve. <laughs> um, this is... I mean, it's 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 good in general, right? I don't know how to, to, to put it. it. If you're an Apple fan, this is great because it means they're doing well enough that they're adding jobs up jobs. If you are a fan of, hey, what if we uh, share the wealth? Uh, certainly, they're spreading it outside of Cupertino, which is great. Um, my home state of Texas, of course, I love seeing them, you know, put more uh, more emphasis there, especially having that, that campus. That my understanding is they do have people in Austin, and probably mm-hmm. other parts of Texas already, but um, I think that was largely, you know, smaller sites. Um, probably related to like IT support or uh, the whole acquire, repair, like Apple Care is down there, isn't it? When they get your machine and it's like they can't fix it in the back of the Apple Store and the you know the geniuses can't do it, don't they ship it to somewhere in Austin and it gets fixed there? Wouldn't surprise me because it's a very business friendly environment in Texas mm. and the yeah. cost of of living is so much lower than it would be in uh, California, for example. That it wouldn't surprise me that they would choose some place like that. Okay. Uh, this year is apparently going to be an actual campus, which means that it's not just, whoops, you know, we accidentally acquired a company like like here in Seattle. Uh, a, a big acquisition was Turi. You might know from Turi Create, a lot of the machine learning uh, core ML stuff that, that came out. Um, so it's kind of nice to see that they're expanding their horizons beyond just a very uh, small set of neighborhoods in Cupertino. Mm-hmm. It's just cool stuff. And I, I can't go without mentioning because it was such a huge drawn out deal. It's quite the opposite of the uh, LeBron James-esque uh, Amazon <laughs> HQ. <laughs> big decision sort of thing that came out very disappointing uh, in how it worked and it was very political and like kind of like well really okay here just I have no idea whether Apple's getting any sort of uh, special treatment I would guess they probably would but at the very least they just did this versus having a weird like beauty pageant um, bachelor bachelorette sort of thing going on so kudos to them for that does it say anything about what they're going to be doing in um, Seattle let me take a look I'm trying to remember if they the Austin campus definitely mentions, um, let's see, engineering, R&D, operations, finance, sales, dot, dot, dot. And uh, Austin is apparently already the sort of second largest, uh, the second largest population of Apple employees outside of Cupertino. So it's like, mm. you know, not quite HQ2 level, but, you know, you look for Apple employees, it's Cupertino, then it's Austin, apparently. Um, but they're also adding a bunch of people to, as you mentioned, Culver City, San Diego, New York, Pittsburgh, other places. Um, but Seattle, do you know what the folks in Seattle are doing for Apple? That's a really good question. I do know that they acquired some networking company here. I can't remember the name of them, so I apologize. Hmm. I do know that uh, Turi, so the machine learning part, and I don't think I'm violating anything here because it's probably broad enough rumor, if nothing else, but it seems like a fair chunk of uh, Siri is being done here. Hmm. Okay. I have no like real official confirmed information, but just sort of uh, listening to the rumors on the wind here in the local coffee shops and stuff, it sounds like um, a lot of series, um, the series service is being done here. Oh, okay, cool. 
All right. I've got a story here that I saw on um, 9to5Mac. The original source was apparently a Reddit, not even a Reddit post, but a comment on Reddit. I think the original thread was something about removing your PayPal account from um, Cydia. I think that's how you pronounce it. That's the online, uh, that's the app store for like jailbroken phone apps, I think is the way to describe it. And there was a comment by uh, Sorek, Jay Freeman himself, the sort of founder, I don't know what you would call him, founder of Cydia maybe. And uh, so anyway, the news, I'm, uh, as Jaime would say, bearing the lead here, news is that the uh, app store, so the Cydia store is shutting down. And of course, there's lots of caveats. It doesn't mean Cydia is shutting down. Jailbreaking is still around, although I think it's sort of declined in popularity. But the sort of Cydia app store, that's apps for jailbroken devices, is closing down. Apparently, they had all kinds of problems with um, credit cards and payments and just, you know, it was just a kind of a maintenance hassle. And he was like, ah, I've had enough of this. So um, you won't be able to buy stuff anymore on the store. I guess you could still buy apps directly from people on their websites and sort of sideload them onto your phone. Um, but uh, there we go. No more um, no more store in that sense. Um, I don't know. When was the last, did you guys ever jailbreak your phones? Or you know, when was the last time that you uh, you did that? I never have. No. Okay. I it, never it have does, either. It does feel like it was a, a thing of the past, you know, back when things were more tightly controlled. Yeah, for sure. There were a lot of, I thought, interesting little UI tweaks. Like for a long time, people wanted to like swipe down. I remember my brother-in-law had this one where you would do a horizontal, like left to right swipe on the status bar. Mm. And that would bring up this control center looking thing. This is back in like iOS 4 or iOS 3 or something like that. Um, and it would bring up a little control center to like turn off Bluetooth and turn on airplane mode, things like that. Because before you had to, back in the old days, you had to go into like the settings app and do all that stuff, uh, like an animal. And then, um, so he had all kinds of weird tweaks like that. I think there was like a app switcher that you could get to by like swiping down. Um, so I, th- I feel like a lot of that, the sort of impetus for jailbreaking your phone was like these little cool tweaks that you wanted to do that Android had. And then eventually we got all that stuff. We have control center and notification center and, you know, you can disable, you can like customize control center even. So we got a lot of that stuff kind of naturally in iOS. So I think that might be, at least for me, part of the reason why um, uh, I haven't seen as many jailbreaking things these days as much. Yeah, so I think- apparently payments are hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we give Apple a lot of crap for their, uh, their 30% or even 15 after the one year um, cut. But yeah, payments payments are hard. Um, I, I do think that similar to the removal of Infinity Blade, the Infinity Blade video game series from the App Store, mm. we mentioned if it wasn't last episode, it was two episodes ago. It, it's kind of the end of an era, isn't it? That um, uh, there was certainly a time and place for those things. And now as time marches on, um, we can credit a lot of the, the cool things we have in iOS now to a lot of the innovation that happened in the jailbreak community. But in terms of the sort of driving need for um, the average user, it seems like that has decreased a lot as iOS has become more open in how it is extensible. Yeah, for sure. I guess longtime listeners as well of this fine program will uh, remember the phrase, the other app store. And this, you could say, was like literally the other app store, um, where it was like apps that might not fit in, that don't meet the guidelines or would never would never get uh, approved into the real Apple app store. That you know There was a place for it where you could actually earn money uh, here. And probably when the larger proportion of apps were, or larger pro- proportion of devices were jailbroken, that was more maybe more of a viable business. But yeah, it seems like that's just not uh, not the direction that things have been going. I imagine if the city store had been like wildly successful, then you know probably they wouldn't have shut it down. They would have said that we should hand it off to somebody, or this is actually worth our time. But I'm imagining I don't have any stats or anything, but I'm imagining um, you know maintenance burden goes up, but also like level of interest, maybe number of users on there was also going down, so it just wasn't uh, just wasn't worth it. So I think there's still just a Reddit comment here, although it says here that uh, there will be a more formal post coming next week. So you can keep your eye out on that. And I'm sure there'll be more details on sort of why and what the reasons were and what the conditions of the thing were. But in the meantime, there's this uh, not too long, 
four or five, four paragraph Reddit comments that you can have a look at. Uh, what else do we have? Tim posted something here. Do we want to, did anybody look at this about, uh, maybe Bendgate, Bendgate Pro, we should say 2.0? Did yeah, they? I heard, <laughs> heard about this today too. It's, this is, you have. this is pretty disappointing. I mean, apparently some iPads are coming with, with kind of a bend at the top and Apple is saying that it's just a normal manufacturing thing. Uh, it's, it's not clear whether or not they're, they're replacing them or just saying too bad, but overall it's pretty disappointing that this would happen. I'm looking at a sort of close up photo here and it looks like the bend is like horizontal. Is the, is the sleep wake button on the top of an iPad? That's kind of what it looks like on this picture. Mm, yeah. Like yeah, it's I a side it to side, like, you know, if you put the iPad face up so the screen is up it would wobble side to side like the right, right side would be slightly above or below the left side that's what it looks like is that yeah, correct look at the, the, next the little camera down, the one that's uh with the guy's finger ah right got it well i don't know yeah. where are those two holes is that the bottom is this the bottom that's probably the bottom okay got it because those are the speakers at the bottom okay but if it's bent on the top it's you know probably bent on the bottom too yeah that looks quite uh quite bent but yeah. apparently it's a uh what is it different materials in the way it says it the cooling processes i guess uh I don't know. I'm not a material scientist here, but, you know, different materials cool, heat and cool and expand at different rates. So it seems like there's some problem with that. Yeah. And it's just a manufacturing thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, did anybody get the new iPad Pro? have not. I'm planning to get one, but... I'm, You're planning I, on getting one. Which one are you going to get? Now. <laughs> yeah, I um, I ultimately decided not to move forward with it because uh, fans of the show might remember I said, hmm, I kind of want an Apple Pencil, but the new Apple Pencil won't work with my old iPad. Mm-hmm. And do I really want to buy a new iPad Pro just so I can use the new Pencil? And I decided not to. ended up getting an early Christmas present, so I have an old iPad Pencil for my last-gen iPad Pro. Mm. How are you enjoying the Pencil? It's great. I, I, I knew it would be fun to use for... Uh, things like paper by 53 and i mm-hmm. think there's probably a couple other apps that i still have on my ipad that are drawing related that i haven't really used that i'm definitely going to go back and reevaluate my usage of them and the screen is or the ipad itself is perfectly flat too right you don't have to worry about bending on the older models is that right yeah yeah i mean <laughs> the uh, the economic curve there or, or for fans of the blackberry curve you can use the new ipad pro <laughs> curve literally yeah I, how I, are you I, I, really, I really hope that we have some sort of um metallurgists out there who are listening to our show uh, or oh, who knows yes. something about material science because i'm very curious how this is happening is what i'm imagining is you know if you're a fan of uh the fantastic four the marvel comic series <laughs> you might know <laughs> the uh backstory of victor von doom also known as dr doom their their primary antagonist the villain and he damaged his own face by pulling his iron mask out of the fire and while it was still hot putting it on his face thus forever scarring himself that's kind of how i imagine that they made these ipads here they they pull them out they're still hot from the process and then they start shoving in all the components and innards into it Mm. very weird i'm sure that's not how it happens but i sure would love it if somebody could hit us up uh you know hashtag ask mtjc um let us know you didn't like my experience my explanation of the material science there of you know different stuff cools at different uh different rate that explains everything there's apparently a note here at the bottom of the article talking about um how there was maybe something similar with um the uh, ben gate one with the iphone um the first plus phones and how they did eventually switch to a more sturdier uh, aluminium for the next phone and maybe that helped so maybe they went back to the bendier kind for whatever reason for this uh for this ipad pro i don't know yeah um, I, thought I was gonna ask you more about the i was gonna ask you more about the pencil though but uh 
what else what were you going to say? No, go, uh, well, the last thing I'll say about the um, bending thing here is I, I thought with the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus, I thought that the additional strength was additional bracing of the aluminum within the phone. I didn't think it was a different alloy altogether, but it, it could be. I've, I've forgotten in time. Mm. Uh, yeah, the, the last paragraph here sent to, um, seems to suggest a sturdier metal, which I assume like, you know, no such thing as sturdier metal. It was like a sturdier alloy or something that they came up with in the end. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We do need that material scientist to uh, tweet at us with hashtag AskMTJC for sure. Right. And you said you had some other questions about the pencil? Uh, just about pencil. Uh, my colleague uh, Alexis Gallagher is a huge iPad and pencil user. He has not, I think, succumbed to the temptation to buy the new iPad Pro yet. But he really didn't like the feel of the pencil, the plastic pencil nib on the glass screen. How are you finding that? It seems fine to me, but I, I say that as somebody who is distinctly not like Tim and not like Tammy, where they're actual artists and illustrators who are probably accustomed to the Wacom or Wacom tablets. And I understand that those have a different feel. Um, so I can't compare it to those, of course, but it, it, I don't know, it feels fine to me. And, and for the way that I'm using it, I'm not using it for uh, like trying to draw my own superheroes or manga or anything. I'm really just using it to do um, the diagramming uh, is probably the main way I'm going to use it for yeah. uh, either creating, you know, slide content for presentations, you know, conference talks, or when I'm, uh, so I'm a remote employee. If you've listened to the show long enough to hear that I work from home. So a big disadvantage to working from home is that I don't have a whiteboard that I can just walk up to and use with colleagues. But what I can do is connect my iPad, use it as a additional screen. Um, I'm evaluating, you know, looking into like duet or Luna display that, that Tammy and Tim have talked about on the show. Uh, but at the very least I can just, you know, old school it, you know, connect it up to the laptop, bring up QuickTime player so that the other person can see when I'm sharing my screen and I can just draw in a much more um, effective way than I can with my just raw fingers. And I'm trying to draw like here, like this component talks to that component. And then this other one is going to fan out to these other three, if that makes sense. Mm. So more like, like okay. a little whiteboard is what I'm using it for. I guess I still use paper notebooks and like take notes and meetings and, you know, just for myself and things like that. So, um, uh, and again, my colleague Alexis does the same thing. So he was like, it doesn't feel enough like paper. So he got this screen protector. I think it's called a uh, paper like I'll put a link in the show notes for it. Um, and it's, it's like an anti, which I always like, I always like the anti glare screen protector. So, um, I was like, Oh, that looks good, but it has like a texture on it. So when the pencil drags across it, it creates more, more friction and it's supposed to feel more like paper. Um, so the thing came with two. So I put one on my iPad as well. I'm like, I actually kind of like it because it does give a little bit more, you know, um, friction, I guess. And it feel, it has a different feel to it. It's not just sort of smooth plastic on smooth glass, but it, um, makes it feel more like a real, like graphite pencil on paper. Um, so I don't know if people are interested and, uh, maybe want to get more, a more like notebook, authentic notebook feel, then uh, that's something to look into. So there are apparently such things that will, uh, make your iPad feel more like paper. So I was just curious about what your pencil experience was like, because I'm still not convinced on the whole pencil thing. Uh, iPad pencil or Apple pencil. I mean, I still use regular notebooks and normal pens, but I don't know. I could be convinced. Yeah, I, I think I'll have to take a mental note, or maybe I'll write it in notes at that app and leave a reminder of myself <laughs> that I'll have to reevaluate after, like, you know, the end of Q1 2019 and say, hey, now that you've had three months to use this on a daily basis, what are the pros and cons versus just the initial uh, first impressions? Mm, okay. There'll be more follow up. There'll be another show with even more follow up than this show someday. Everything is eventually follow up, Greg. We even had follow up follow up within a long. Our <laughs> 
That's true. If you're thinking the long game, everything is follow up. Well, I think it's that time. Should we go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks? Why don't we stop mm-hmm. at you, Jaime? Do you have any picks? I do. I've got a couple picks. So the first one here is uh, Comet Spellchecker. It is available on uh, GitHub as well as the uh, App Store or Mac App Store. Um, it's by. I apologize because I always get these names incorrect when it's not just you know a name I'm completely used to. This is uh, by Belislava Yanchina from Sydney, Australia, and it's a Xcode extension that does kind of what it says on the tin. If you have comments in your code, and by golly, you probably should, um, and you are terrible at spelling as I tend to be, you can use this nifty tool to correct your spelling mistakes within your comments. Um, cool. The way I've tended to use it is to let it do its thing and then take a look at the git diff to see, you know, in my source control, like what, what did it actually decide to change? Um, I don't know. I haven't looked because I just started using this a day or two ago. I don't know if you can add a dictionary to it because it tries to do things like if you say stack view as one word instead of two, it gets really grumpy about that and decides to separate it out. Or hilariously, it uh, changed one of my teammates' names uh, to look like Darling, which is always a, a, a form of fun. But um, <laughs> as long as you don't blindly use what it says and you can go in and, and selectively edit, it works pretty well. I liked it. And it's it's free. And uh, if you remember how these extensions work, uh, they run locally within the Xcode process, is my understanding. Um, and so I didn't have a whole lot of concern about it, like secretly shipping my code somewhere else. And if you really are <laughs> concerned about that, you can look at the source code yourself and see what it does. Mm. I see it's using NS, NS spell checker, which is sort of the canonical way to do this kind of thing, of course, in uh, in foundation. But yeah, looks it looks legit to me, at least. There's no network calls, it looks like. Yeah, mm-hmm. and something like this would be useful for Git commits, too. I, I'm constantly making spelling errors in Git commits, and then they're kind of etched in stone once you once you do the commit. Yeah, and then you end up like, oh, I gotta go do a pull request just to fix typos. <laughs> fix a typo in the commit message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Cool. GitHub picks. I approve. And uh, my uh, the second pick here is Apple Book has released six free audiobooks that are read by celebrity narrators. And the titles are, and I'm going to make fun of one of these, and you'll see which one. <laughs> the first one is Pride and Prejudice by uh, narrated by Kate Beckinsale, uh, The Wonderful, Wonderful Wizard of Oz, narrated by Titus Burgess, The Secret Garden, narrated by Karen Gillan, The Time Machine, narrated by Kelsey Grammer. I think that's the one I'm going to listen to first. Uh, that's probably my, my pick within the pick. He's got a good voice. Uh, Frankenstein, narrated by, it says here, Aaron Monkey or Mink. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, of the Lore podcast. Mm. And Winnie the Pooh, narrated by your favorite celebrity, Disney Book Group. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I, you know, the, the best possible case, it ends up being like, oh, you know, the voice actor who did Ariel from The Little Mermaid and Ralph from Wreck-It Ralph? Like, yeah, that's who we got. It's just like every every sentence, it's a new person voicing the thing. But I'm, I'm sure that's not the case. It says celebrities, uh, I don't think Disney Book Group counts as a celebrity even though everybody knows who disney is uh but still i mean it's 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 free audiobooks it's the winter holiday season so go get them start listening to them sit next to a fire drink hot cocoa and those uh those are my picks are you big on are you a big audiobook listener anybody hmm, i mostly do podcasts but um i have considered doing more audiobook type stuff uh probably mm. when I'm, I'm like not coding and probably more when i'm doing chores or you know walking the dog or something yeah yeah what about you mark you have a commute yeah i don't really i have one or twice in the car and i find that i kind of can't focus on on listening to the book when i'm in traffic because it's you know it's usually battling traffic and you know it's that's it i have to pay attention to that so so i, I generally 
generally don't. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I always feel like as a podcast fan, I should, but I never, I don't think I've ever, like, ever listened to an audiobook before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are free and, you know, some classic literature here. So yeah. maybe I'll, uh, mm-hmm. maybe I'll give it a try. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, do you have any picks? I don't have a pick this week. Okay. All right. I've got a Unless few... I talk about this magazine layout one. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, you can't steal my pick. <laughs> so I've got I was, a, I was tempted I've got to a... just start talking about it without even mentioning it. <laughs> yeah, there's no name on this. What's happened? Is this a shadow pick? Who... There is totally a name on it. How dare you? <laughs> code pick isn't a name. Code pick colon? No. Uh, it's under the Greg heading of... Colon. Oh, right. Never mind. Never mind. This See, trolling. Jaime Unacceptable. Colon. <laughs> Unacceptable. So I've got uh, I've got three picks here because I got to do Jaime here at the end of the year. Uh, let me start with the last one, last one on the list first. So we mentioned 8-bit systems and people being fans of 8-bit systems. I certainly am as well. Um, so I came across some YouTube videos. I can't remember how, but, you know, kind of like the Wikipedia hole where you start with like reading about, I don't know, um, soldering irons and you end up in like an article about World War II or something like that. So I was doing the same thing with YouTube. Came across this guy. His channel is called The 8-Bit Guy. And he, it was a restoration of this really old VIC-20, this horrible looking, it was like all dirty and there was like oil pooled inside the machine and some of the chips didn't work or something like that. And he just like totally cleans it all up, looks like brand new, like takes the yellowing off the plastic and all everything. I was like, oh. So he's got a lot of videos about sort of old computers and he like restores them. People send them motherboards and he like looks at that. And he has like a series about history about old computers and things like that. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, then definitely check it out. And he has a blog and a um, uh, bunch of YouTube videos, which is sort of where I found them. Um, and on the Mark's note of like how you can't find some of this equipment anymore, he has a post here where he bought 155 Commodore VIC-20 motherboards. Not the whole computer, but just the motherboards. Um, so somebody out there sold 155 of them, and he said he got about 80 of them working. Oh. Uh, so you can definitely find this stuff. And then he sells them. So he has a store, and he sells the restored boards for uh, $20 each, he says. So not bad if you're a VIC-20 fan. Um, so that's my first pick, the 8-bit guy. Uh, my second pick is a video pick or a conference pick, you could say. I was at the Functional Swift 2018 conference in uh, New York City. It was about a month ago. I don't remember. Or maybe it was a couple weeks. I think it was December 1st, actually. So it was only a couple weeks ago, but it feels a lot longer. And uh, the videos there are. So there are eight videos, I believe, if you go to the Functional Swift website. And um, the talks were very good. I talked to another friend of mine when I was in New York, and he was saying he was at Functional Swift, uh, I don't know, last year or a couple years ago. And he was like, oh, so the talks were so theoretical, and they were, you know, really hard to understand. Um, And I was kind of worried about that, too. But the talks this year, I think I may have mentioned this, were really good, practical. Talked about you know how to do UI, how to help perf- increase performance with functional techniques, things like that. Uh, so really good set of videos. I would recommend watching these for sure. Um, maybe some of the highlights are there was one from uh, Ben Cohen, uh, Air, otherwise known as Airspeed Swift, on the Swift Standard Library team. I think he's the manager of the Standard Library. I, I forget his title, but he had a talk there about uh, mutable state. My favorite topic. I did. I also did a talk about mutable state. Um, so he. <laughs> His is, of course, in much more in-depth, so it's interesting there. Um, and then maybe the sort of one of the conference organizers, Brandon Williams, did a talk about uh, impossible Swift programs, which was just really fascinating. Totally, probably, I think, totally impractical. He even says this right at the front, like, this is not something that you're going to use. But it's just a really interesting kind of, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but he writes an impossible program in Swift, so you should definitely watch it. There's a little bit of math. I mean, it's sort of math-based stuff that he's doing in there. He got the idea of it from a paper, I think it was a math paper, I'm not sure. Um, 
about sets and infinite sets and things like that. Anyway, even if you don't know about math, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you can watch the talk. He's a really good speaker, and there's live coding, which I always love. So check out the videos from um, Functional Swift. And my last pick is a code pick. So it's another open source project from our friends at Airbnb called Magazine Layout, which is a collection view layout. Um, if you look at the screenshots, they use this um, all across the Airbnb app, where there's you know a photo and the title underneath, and maybe a little blurb and you know a giant scrolling list of that stuff, which is very common. Um, so it's kind of like you're you know you might ask, how is this? Isn't this just Flow Layout? So it is very similar to Flow Layout, but they have some nice affordances in there for um, helping with cell sizing and self sizing. You know, full width, half width, like very common things that you want to do all the times with collection views. And um, I'll just read from the page: self sizing headers, hiding or showing headers, uh, different backgrounds, backgrounds per section, things like that. So it's just a really good example of a good collection view layout. And of course, my favorite thing to do is since it's open source, it's on GitHub. You can look at the source code for the collection view layout, which are, I think, in my opinion, sort of very not. I don't know. I don't want to say very hard, but they're like hard to do right and hard to do well. So if you want to see, you can't. Unfortunately, we can't look at the source code for um, UI collection view flow layout, but you can look at the source code for this magazine layout, and it's just it's just really well done. So you want to see a nice example of how to code a, a really a custom layout that looks like something you use all the time, and definitely check out um, magazine layout. So that's on GitHub, and link will be in the show notes. Mark, did you have something to say about magazine layout? <laughs> have you used this or you heard of it? No, I haven't. No. Nope. Okay. No, I just want to steal it because I didn't have a pick. Mm, all right. All. So it's just, uh, it's just you being mean. <laughs> all right. That was my suspicion. No, I was being but, nice because uh, I didn't do it. Hmm. Well, you can't say you're going to do something mean and then not do it and then say that you're nice. I don't know if it works like that, but well, uh, it's the holidays. We'll allow it. All right. All right. All right. Tim well, I think that wraps up. What's that? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Krampus heading to the Ruben household. It's already <laughs> Uh, well, I guess that wraps up for this episode then. What do you think? Is that wrap up the year? Are you guys doing an episode next week or what's going on? Anyway? I'm not sure if we are. Are we? Yep. Okay. I'm not 100% certain either because um, uh, spoilers for next week, but Uh-oh. I will be unavailable. So you definitely won't hear my voice unless mm. Tim ends up doing a, uh, I don't know if we do it every year, but certainly a lot of years we've done a like best of the best year. Of, yeah. Uh, mm. A clip show is what it is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. I will be in Toronto next week. So maybe I'll visit uh, MTJC world headquarters and get an update and uh, see what's going on over there. Oh, I got to get you that Tim. pin for Tim. Oh, I don't know if that's going to work out, yeah. Mark. You might, well, you, you should just right. mail it to it's just a pin, just right? You should just yeah. mail it to him or something. Yeah, I've had it for um, six months. I, it's about time I just mail it. <laughs> <laughs> he won't get there before Christmas, but at least he'll get it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right. Well, this might be the last show of 2018, then. The last, like, real uh, non-clip show, at least, with original content from 2018. So, who knows? But it's been a good year, right? It's been... Uh, things have happened. It's been all right. Mm-hmm. It has been. It has been. It has been. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, all right. Um, Mark, if people want to get a hold of you out there on the, on the internet before 2018 comes to a close, how would they do that? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And how many how would people get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. You can, I guess, also get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Greg Heo. And uh, I guess that's it for this week, possibly for this year. But we'll see you all soon next week or in 2019. Bye. 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 This is friend of the show, Mac and Talk, also known as the Talking Moose, eh? If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. 
If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. That was a lot of follow-up. Mm-hmm. Still a short show because we talked a lot in the beginning <laughs> before I mean, we started. So. Short, for, short for us, uh, chatting with some other folks. Um, I think I was chatting with a, with another friend who she does her own podcast. And she's like, oh, how mm. long is yours? And oh, I don't know. The short show for us is probably like an hour. She's like, an hour is short. What? I'm trying, <laughs> trying to do like 20 or 30 minutes and thinking it's too long. I'm like, mm, depends on your audience. Yeah, that's true. I think there's something about, uh, I don't know, tech shows and there aren't. I don't know. Are there a lot of short shows, like 15, 20-minute shows? They all seem to be kind of long, or is it just me? My sister actually started the podcast about uh, Korean dramas, and her and her friend watch them, and they do... And I think her goal was... Uh, she said that she wants to make them commute length, and obviously she doesn't live in the Bay Area, because yeah. when she says commute length, she means like 15 minutes, which I'm like, wow, I'm amazed. If you say commute length here, that's like an hour at least. Uh, so I think they keep their episodes to like 15 to 20 minutes or something like that. Um, but yeah, apparently she's like, yeah, it's hard to keep them short, and you know they have a lot to talk about, and they have to edit it down or whatever. Maybe and it's 30 minutes, actually. Uh, no, no. I don't think my sister uh, my sister and a co-host definitely don't speak Korean but uh, uh, okay. the shows are all subtitled because you know they don't uh, well I, th- I guess my sister kind of understands some Korean but uh, I think she watches all subtitled shows mm-hmm. uh, so I tried to listen to an episode and it was like you know well they're talking about some show and I'm like I haven't watched this so I'm just listening because you know my sister's on there but I don't actually know what the, what the heck they're talking about with the show mm-hmm. so I think this should be in, in the show notes Greg I'm surprised it wasn't a, a shadow pick ah well you know that's like nepotism or something isn't it <laughs> I I always have this battle with with you and Tammy. I'm like, you got cool stuff. You can't wait for uh, for the rest of us to humble brag it for you. Feel free to bring uh, it up I on guess. the show. Yeah, that's true. Well, the podcast is called K Drama Mamas. Um, I think it's because my sister is a mom, and I think her co-host is also a mom. I don't know actually, but that's what they call it, K Drama Mamas. And they talk about Korean dramas. If that's your thing, then uh, give it a listen, and maybe send them a tweet with the hashtag Ask K Drama Mamas and tell them that Greg sent you, and then uh, maybe we can help boost their listenership. Cool, cool. That's that's actually a really, really good name. I like that name. <laughs> it has too many uh, AM, 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 AMs, though, when you it's, type it, it. It's probably not a great URL, uh, <laughs> yeah. but the the album art looks really good, I imagine. Uh, my cousin is, uh, my, my cousin drew the thing, if is, you click is, on their is, Twitter. Is K-drama a normal term, like K-pop is, or did they just make that up? No, that is a thing. K-drama yeah. is, uh, is a thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I've definitely heard that before. Um, I'm looking it up in Overcast. Oh, is oh yeah, how's that? Oh, SEO? Whoa, yeah, there are a lot of M's in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, now if you type it, it's like M-A in the drama, and then it's mamas, so it's a lot. I think in the first episode, uh, I think her co-host says, like, hey, you should follow us on Instagram. We're Instagram.com slash, and she spells it out, and it's like D-R-A-M-A-M-A-M-A-M-A, and then she kind of got lost a little bit, but it's uh, it's kind of hard to spell. But uh, yeah, she was learning all about editing and um, where to host it, so, you know, a, a, just as like a meta comment, I think podcasting has kind of reached that point where, you know, no, 
non-technical people can get. Uh, I mean, she got the whole podcast and the hosting. She made a Twitter account. She made an Instagram. She has like analytics. I forget where she's hosting it, but um, she really figured it all out. So I was kind of impressed. But to me, that means that like podcasting has reached the mainstream and like anybody, maybe in, in air quotes, anybody can uh, can do it, which is amazing. Is your sister Jane or Melissa? She's Jane. She's Jane. Shout out to Jane, who sometimes listens to this podcast, but I think not so much anymore. For the same reason why I had trouble listening to K-Drama Mamas. And uh, I think apparently she told me that her and my mom watched one of my conference talks. Like they put it on the Apple TV. And I was like, really? I'm like, and <laughs> I'm like, did you enjoy it? And she was like, she was saying she had this weird experience where she was like, so we're listening to you. And it's like, you're speaking English and we understand the words. <laughs> but then like, we have like no idea. Like it's, you might as well just be talking another language. Like we have no idea what you're talking about. Mm. But you know, I guess it's the same thing. They just watch it because, you know, we're related. And, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> At, but, at least uh, they didn't say, well, we enjoyed seeing you. Yeah. Like <laughs> but she said it was a very weird experience to, again, like have somebody speaking English, but you just, you know, you just don't understand what, what, what the heck they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I forgot which talk it was, but um, I think my brother-in-law, maybe my cousin, they're a little bit, my brother-in-law is also a developer and he watched it and he watched some of it at least. And he was like, yeah, I kind of understood. It was about like whatever design patterns or I forgot what I was talking about, but he, you know, he's not an iOS developer, so he doesn't know the specifics, but he's like, yeah, you know, I get the idea of what he's saying. So that was nice. Well, at least they knew to be proud of you. Family, family uh, that's always nice, right? <laughs> you know, they're willing to take whatever it was, 20 minutes out of the day and watch this, watch me uh, speak incomprehensibly on stage about something. So that is always nice. I did appreciate it. I didn't know how to read the um, recession coming thing. I wasn't sure if it was sarcastic or or not coming through the. Uh, oh no no no! I'm it's hard to tell through the. Hundred percent uh, uh, true, honest about that. I mean, being realistic about that, it happens every single time. Whenever the valley gets so heated up that the traffic gets as bad as it is now, there's a downturn coming, without a doubt. I thought people were just traveling for the holidays because you know no, it's kind of quiet well, in the office and all of that. No, I mean it's been it's been bad and getting worse for months now. But you know it's inevitable. It's the business cycle. What are you going to do? Mm, yeah. Feels like one is coming. Yeah. I mean, interest rates went up again today, so it's going to slow things down. Stock market is collapsing um, because of the tariffs and whatnot. It's, yeah, it's coming. Interesting time for IPOs, considering that Uber, Lyft, and now apparently Pinterest are looking to mm. to go public oh, in Pinterest 2019. Pinterest joined the club too, huh? I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. Which would seem weird, but I don't know. Maybe they're just going to dump the stock onto the unwitting public as we immediately go into a recession right after that when it becomes harder to raise private funding is what i would guess yep if they think a recession's coming it's better to do it sooner than later because they won't get the valuation that they that they want once things crash fun times yeah yeah as long as you keep selling those drones and those glasses we'll be fine that's right What's going yeah, on for the holidays? Uh, Are you guys traveling or doing anything? I'm sticking around here. I never like to travel over the holidays. Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably for the best. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're doing one of the worst possible things. You're going somewhere cold over the, hol- <laughs> over the holidays. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Flying internationally what you, on yeah. Christmas weekend. I know, I know. Yeah, what are you, crazy? Well, sometimes <laughs> it has to be done. Yeah, yeah. I hear it's very warm, actually. It's in the um, above freezing. That's my trick. If you don't want to give it you know, temperature in Fahrenheit or Celsius or make 
somebody angry. That's that's all I can do. I say it's just above freezing. Uh, so I might not see any snow this time, and it won't be that cold. I was in New York, whatever it was, two weeks ago, and it was around the same temperature. It was just above freezing. It was it got a little bit higher to like 50 degrees or so. But um, sometimes in the week it was, you know, low 40s. And I think Toronto is about that for the coming week. So at least it won't be too cold. I was in Florida the weekend before last. That was pretty nice. nice yeah. Nice and warm. One of my coworkers is in Texas, and she said her Slack status to something like, um, it's 78 degrees or something like that. That's her, that's her status. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, it's, apparently they're having nice weather in Texas, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Jaime, what about you? Are you going anywhere? Yeah, I'll actually be going uh, probably to a different part of Texas, I would guess, uh, going to the western part of Texas, high desert. Mm. It will. I haven't looked because I haven't gotten ready to pack yet, but I'm just guessing, you know, uh, almanac style, that it's probably going to be high of uh, 65 in the day and then low of like 28. It'll be quite a, a huge wow. swing, uh, just radically different than it will be here in the Seattle area, which will probably be a high of 45 and a low of 40 around the same time. We <laughs> okay. just stay very even temperature here. We we do dip down, uh, but not the, hey, there's sun. Great. Put on a t-shirt. Whoops. Sun went down. All right. Better bundle up. And uh, as I do when I go home for the holidays. Hmm. You're yeah, going to El quite Paso. The swing. Is that right? Yep. Go to El Paso for, nice. uh, for the holidays. Mm-hmm. You'll be away all of next week then? So you, uh, no podcast recording? No podcast recording. I mean, <laughs> I struggle enough to get it quiet enough to, to record here. There's no way I could be anywhere. I'd have to like rent a podcasting booth somewhere <laughs> to get far enough away from my very loud, boisterous family. Oh, don't you have one of those? Um, you have that acoustic foam, and you've made a little tent for yourself. Can't you like make a bigger, you know, booth out of that stuff and bring it with you? If I went as far as like Boeing does when they do noise tests in the yeah. like scary, quietest room you've ever been in, kind of you know enclave sort of thing, perhaps. Uh, but let me tell you, my uh, my family, we're almost certainly going to be watching a lot of NFL in college football, and mm. especially when our Dallas Cowboys come on, uh, there's going to be a lot of screaming and yelling, both positive and negative, depending mm. on how the game Those goes. Cowboys who beat the Saints and then lost to the Colts? What's up with that? I have no idea. The, the Colts aren't a bad team. They've, got a, stingy, team. they've got a stingy defense, and they've got you know Andrew Luck, but it is kind of yeah. weird to uh, kind of embarrass the Saints or, or show them up um, and somehow defeat Eagles and they've been like on a four or five game win streak before that, um, and then just lay an egg. It's a it's just that kind of season for us. Yeah, uh, it's that kind of season for everybody. Look at my Patriots. Oh my God, last two weeks have been horrible. It's been a, a parity season, that's for sure. I can't think yeah. of any one team like, oh wow, they're going to win the Super Bowl. So yeah, I mean, it looked like the Rams and the and the Chiefs and the Saints were all headed that way to a big showdown, but they've all start they've all been losing lately. So I would be surprised if it's the Chargers who go to the Super Bowl now. Wow, after watching them come back and somehow miraculously beat the, beat the really hot Kansas City Chiefs yeah, on yeah. prime time. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? We will see. More Greg. than just sports. Yeah. Do, do yeah. you uh, catch up on any sports when you're back in Toronto? You go watch the Maple I Leafs or not. the Raptors? No. No, no. I've, you know, as soon as I had my stint working at a TV sports, ever since then, I just have not, have had no interest in sports. It like killed it in me or something like that. Not that I was super <laughs> interested before that, but I was like mildly interested. And now it's like, no, I don't watch anything anymore. You're not going to go to a Maple Leafs game and see their new sumo wrestler, Colton? 
<laughs> if I did watch a Leafs game, I would watch them when they come to like San Jose. That would be probably the only way I could get tickets because mm. they're um, they're always super expensive, really hard to get. Like if you want like a home Leafs game, yep. just, you know, they're still the most valuable team. I don't know in hockey and sports. I forget which one, but probably not sports. But probably not sports. But hockey, probably not sports because it's got to be NFL. But I think yeah. in hockey, they're still like the most valued like um, franchise, whatever. Um, yeah. Although I saw another article saying that if they don't win the Stanley Cup in the next like seven years or something then their name will like fall off the end of the cup or something like that like they put the winner they screw, i don't know i'm just i think they screw on a little thing onto the cup to say like the last winner and then mm. they like move them all down as time goes on but like the cup is filling up so it's like they have to remove things off the end to put new people on or something mm. and so the last time toronto won the cup was whatever 60 i don't know uh, toronto people are yelling in their phones uh, in their phones now 60 something and apparently if we don't win it in the next few years then we will fall off the end and then toronto will not be on the cup anymore sad mm, times what a shame well yeah yeah i hadn't really considered that particular downside towards having a singular trophy as opposed to the various copies of trophies that end up happening for like the nba or the nfl you know, everybody has the uh, the lombardi trophy if they've won a, a championship in the nfl but it's not yes, they the put a, lombardi trophy it's not like the inscribed every team's name on it they put a band around it and they can fit 10 or sorry 12 teams on each band and so they've reached the top of it and they're removing the they just removed the 1953 1954 through 1964 1965 band and so when they do the next band in 2030 that will include the last maple leafs win that is on the cup i will post the story just in case into the show notes about this what do they do with the ones that they remove where do they put those maybe they put them in the hockey hall of fame or something it does uh it does not say what they do with it but apparently back in 94 they decided to remove old bands and replace them with fresh ones rather than keep adding new bands so maybe they have a limit of like six or seven bands or i guess if it goes back to the 60s and that's about 60 years so maybe they keep like five bands at a time and they just decided you know if we put six or seven and keep stacking up it'll just look crazy so they don't want to do it um i'm looking for a photo but there's no photos in this article unfortunately but there you go so we have uh 12 more years to uh to win it you were uh mentioning the uh valuable franchise uh most recently the list that i had seen had the dallas cowboys as number one at something insane like five billion dollars wow. i read up there were the new england patriots mm-hmm. the washington redskins and like the list I fc barcelona four years so. out of date four years out of date but it has real madrid soccer. oh yeah there That's is a place one. outside america i forgot right, about that right. even mm-hmm, i forget mm-hmm. about that sometimes i found and the list for football hockey. with some weird round ball or something like that different kind of football yeah, yeah. the real football some might say but we won't uh, mm-hmm. we don't need to go there so i found an article from december 5th of this year for nhl most valuable teams it's actually the rangers on top i'm sure maybe the canadian dollar doesn't help but the rangers are at 1.5 billion the leafs are like 1.4 so they're about uh what is that 100 million less but then it's the canadians next so at least the canadian teams are up there um but the rangers are on top apparently interesting i guess it is a pretty big market in the united states but uh not knowing much about hockey i don't recall the rangers having won in quite some time no but it is new york and you know they they have a lot of money there apparently um 
Yeah, I mean they have the Islanders too, who are way down there at. Uh, I, I think they've a mere four hundred million the last ten years or so. No, have they the New York, the New York Rangers? I could be wrong, but it seems like that's the case. I don't know. What is the least value team? It is the Arizona Coyotes at two hundred ninety million. What sport is that? Hockey. Ah. Still NHL. This is just a list of all the NHL teams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Arizona, Florida, all the all the warm places are down at the bottom, and of course the cold places are up at the top. What's all right. the um, what's the as a, the the last sign off thing? What is the oh. thing that you do uh, uh, tradition of any sort that you do within the say the first twelve to twenty four hours of arriving back home? Is there a thing you do? Is there a thing that I do? Yeah, like a place you go eat, or uh, a place you go visit, or like like oh I I have not officially returned home unless I do this thing. Mm. Like for well, a lot of California to get a Tim to be burger, right? I don't know. I don't know about 12, 12, 24 hours, but you know, I'll, definitely on my list to do every visit is get a Tim Hortons coffee. Uh, I have to get a poutine mm. somewhere. Not picky about that. I'll go anywhere. Maybe not McDonald's, but you know, get like a real poutine somewhere. Um, they have poutine at McDonald's in, uh, in They used to. Somebody can uh, write in and tell me if they still do, but they definitely used to. Yeah. Like uh, regularly, it, or is it like the uh, the McRib that makes an appearance and then leaves? No, it was uh, last I remember. It was like there for good and. They they, maybe like maybe it's gone now, but it was there for it wasn't just a limited time thing. They definitely had it for a while. Uh, I don't know if they still do, but I don't. You know, I, you got to get real poutine. Like if you're in Toronto, like you might as well get the real stuff, not McDonald's. Uh, so Tim Hortons coffee, poutine. There is a Thai restaurant in downtown Toronto called Salad King, which is kind of a funny name, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. There's a reason I'm sure it's called Salad King, and I used to live around there, so I always like to go there once. And there's also a Caribbean restaurant down there where I used to also where I used to live, um, and I also go there and get a jerk chicken because you can't get good Caribbean food here in San Francisco, I don't think. Um, so that's the other thing I miss because, again, I used to live I used to live there and I would get it all the time because it was nearby. Have you been to Backyard? No, I haven't. Ah, next time you're down in San Jose, we should go there. San Jose? That's so far. That's like, as one of my friends told me, that's like South America, practically. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, there's one in East Palo Alto, too. It's a little bit closer. Oh, that might be even worse, though. I guess it is admittedly closer to the equator. It's got that going for it. <laughs> it's like, you know, compared to your... I really like that when they call it South America. So, But yes, next time I make a trip down there, uh, let's let's check it out. I heard there was one place somewhere here in the city. Maybe there's somewhere in Oakland as well. Hmm. Uh, one of my friends from Jamaica, I asked, and she was like, no, there's nothing. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> then forget it. Um, I think she named a couple places, though. But um, anyway. Anyway, that's, uh, I think that's about my list that I have there. And then maybe go visit the Toronto sign. When they had the Pan Am Games in Toronto, they put this giant sign light, lit up. With, like, each letter can light up in a different color, and it just says Toronto. And they put it outside City Hall. And people liked it so much, everyone's taking their selfies there, that they left it up permanently. And apparently other cities, maybe, I think, like, Ottawa and other places, they also put up colored signs that say the name of the city in front of their City Hall. They, like, totally copied Toronto. Probably Toronto wasn't the first either, but, you know, I have to say that. Um, visit the Toronto sign? I don't know. I don't know if if I have anything super specific, if that wasn't specific enough, but those are definitely the things on my list that I always, always like to do. Do you have something in particular for um, El Paso, Texas? Yeah. We, the first meal, um, probably nine times out of 10, is for me to go to a local place called Chico's Tacos. It's really weird. It's rolled up taquitos, rolled up tacos in um, covered with cheese, like government cheese is what I mm, keep suspecting yeah. it is, and floating in a spicy red sauce. 
like a super saucy soup type of sauce. Okay. It, it's really weird, um, but it is definitely a local thing, and it definitely has a lot of the flavor and nostalgia of uh, being out with your high school or college buddies at like mm. two in the morning, just left the club, and now you want something to eat. And so it's okay. like tradition. Like, I may not necessarily have it that first day, but I'm definitely having it during the trip. Yeah, yeah. That's mm. sort of like me and the <laughs> me and the poutine and the salad king, I guess. It's not like I have to get off the plane and go there right away. But if I don't check it off the list on the trip, then I feel like, you know, I've missed something for sure. Yeah, yeah. And kind of something I've been doing more recently is hanging around town long enough to go watch the um, Sun Bowl college game, hmm. which this year will be Stanford versus Pittsburgh, I want to say. And uh, so, yeah, I'll be I'll be in the stands. You might see me in the cheap seats. <laughs> Make sure you wave, wear an MTJC t-shirt, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to spot you. Yeah, that's on CBS, in case you were <laughs> wondering. <laughs> and I have to look at the date to see what it is. It's like the Find 30th, your local CBS affiliate the and uh, tune into the Sun Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> How long are you going to be out of town for then? Uh, like and are ten, you flying Alaska? Days? Is the no, it's question. not Alaska. What am I flying? I think I ended up on American, which is mm. okay-ish. Um, I will be excited for next year that Alaska Airlines is creating the first uh, non-stop flight from Seattle to El Paso. Oh, wow. Yeah. Does anybody fly non-stop? Does American fly non-stop? No, no. It's definitely not a, a big enough market to warrant that. But apparently okay. it is big enough to warrant they flying. It's not, it's not as big as an A3, Airbus A320 or Boeing 737. It's like a... It's like an Embraer? One of those little It's like ones? an Embraer or a Bombardier. I don't know which which one it is, but it's a regional jet. So it's... Oh, it's, okay. it's apparently the, the tech has gotten good enough that those can fly that route economically. Ah, okay. Yeah. So smaller, you know, 75 to 100 on the outside passengers, mm. I would guess. Apparently there's mm. no frequency between Seattle and El Paso for that. Mm, okay. So that'll be exciting. It, it doesn't start to like February so it doesn't help me this holiday season, but I'll definitely be booking that one next holiday season. Where do you have to go? Go through Dallas or something with American? Oh, God help me if I do. I, I always hate that route. Um, no, yeah. I generally, generally Phoenix? flying through Phoenix. Okay. Occasionally, it's it's okay to fly through Las Vegas, occasionally uh, yeah. Denver. And God help you if you go to Dallas because you are going the wrong direction and you're going to one of the largest airports um, with all sorts of delays and then you have to fly back the other direction. You're doing like yeah, a check Yeah, Texas is pretty big, so it is on the other end, right? Yeah. If you ever use that website, Real Size, or I'd have to look it up. It's like a, a mapping site that compensates for the um, whatever projection it is we're using. You know, like how Iceland yeah. is re- like ridiculously Mercator huge. Projection. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's um, the truesize.com, I think is the site you're, you're thinking yeah, of. Yeah. It, it choose the state of Texas and then just put it over everything else and just realize how just about every European country, or at least Western European country, fits within Texas. Mm. It's like yeah, they have all France. of, uh, looks like all of China, all of the United States, and all of India, and it still doesn't fill up Africa. Like, that's how big Africa is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to continent. the maps, I don't think we realize how big Africa is, but it is, uh, it is huge. I've done that drive from Dallas to El Paso. It's a, it's a long drive. Yeah. What is it, like uh, 10 to 14 hours, depending Something on like that. Well, whether it, you were zipping it? It would have been if I hadn't blown out a tire partway through and had to get, get it repaired. So it was even longer for me. Yeah, yeah. That was a long day, as I recall. That's when I 
first moved out to California, driving my car out here. Yeah, everything I owned packed into my car and then I blew out a tire on, uh, is it I-10? I think it's I-10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And had to unload everything my entire life on the side of the freeway to get to my spare tire. Wow. <laughs> Wait, so this, this was coming from Boston? You were driving? Coming, coming from Boston. Yeah. So how did you end up all the way down in Texas for that particular? You went out was, of your well, way? I was to going to Southern California because I was moving to Southern California. Oh, okay. Uh, and I had friends along the way. I had friends in Dallas, whatever. So I stayed with friends in Dallas and then made the drive the next day uh, to El Paso as one leg of the trip. Well, yeah, yeah. So, State-wise, yeah. Th- well, certainly we're closer to Phoenix than we are, mm, let's say, Dallas. Houston. Yeah. Uh, we oh, yeah, might yeah. be closer to L.A. than we are to Houston. Just it, It's a massive That's state. about right, yeah. yeah. About the same, I mean, hard to say. Right, so you're coming from Seattle, so... Yeah, yeah. Dallas really is on the other side, isn't it? Well, El Paso's like right on the very... Is that even in the same time zone as the rest of Texas, or are they in the next no, time zone over? they're in Mountain, the they're central and somewhere around Lubbock in the Panhandle, I think. Okay. Yeah. We used to be our own country, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking with somebody. Still is, isn't it? As far as I knew. <laughs> I made that joke with, with a, a friend who came to the Seattle area from um, D.C. area. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were just joking about, you know, uh, West Coast being the best coast. And mm. uh, oh, we used to be our own, in Texas, we used to be our own country. You know, not a lot of people know that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, someday I'll visit Texas. I think I've said I've been to the Houston airport many times, but I've never left the airport. So although technically I have been in the great state of Texas, I've not actually left the airport, but someday. Mm-hmm. I think California was its own country for a very short time, too. It does say so on the flag. So if it says it on the flag, then that's how you know it's true, true, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. All right, gentlemen, I think we're good here. Have a, have a happy holidays. All right. You too. Yep, you too. And we'll uh, talk to you in the new year, maybe. Talk to you next year. On the Slack, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed.